welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in cybersecurity about careers in this industry, specifically how to get into it and how to advance. My name is Gene Fay, the CEO of ThreatX, an API and application security company, and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we're joined by Christine Gatsby, Vice President, Product Security Operations at BlackBerry. Christine, how are you this morning? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. We're super excited. It's a great day. We're we're just coming off a of black hat, which was super busy, and now we're uh, rolling into kind of the second half of the year for all of us. So uh, busy times for both companies, I'm sure. Yep, absolutely, and a little bit of recovery too. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. Can you tell our listeners a little about your journey? Uh, you said you kind of ended up in. IT simply out of necessity, and, and now you're a cybersecurity VP. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of how you got where you are? Yeah, no, thank you. I love talking about this, so I appreciate you asking. I grew up extremely poor with family that uh, served missions for their line of employment. My father, who is no longer with us, but he led a men's homeless shelter in the city. Um, and so we grew up really not having much at all. And where I'm from, it wasn't really typically expected that you would go off to college. Most people took a job. They did some sort of training and through high school and then went out to work because they had families to support. And so for me, I didn't really have that to look up to. I wasn't missing it at the time. And I certainly reflect back on that as a positive experience now where it's brought me into my career because it's taught me a lot. But I ended up in my role and, and in the industry that I'm in mainly because, uh, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I decided that I really needed to go to school. I had two daughters and was a single mom and, you know, kind of have a horrible left an abusive relationship story behind there and then decided I really needed to support my kids on my own. And I asked my college admissions counselor at the time I was going to a nonprofit school what am I going to do with my life? Because I I knew what I really liked to do, but I had a really hard time translating that into education and a career path, which I think a lot of people get stuck right there. And my college counselor, she said to me, there's two things that aren't going away, technology and crime. So (laughs) combine the two, (laughs) right? And so that's exactly right. And so she said, if you really want to have a, you know, a career, and this was a long time ago, I won't tell you how long ago, because it'll share my age, but this was before any of this was really a big deal. And so I went off to go get a degree in IT because, you know, again, that college counselor was just really smart and I wanted to support my kids. So that's kind of what started it all. Yeah. Well, it's just a wonderful story. And uh, it gives me chills the second time I've heard the story, but it really is uh, a lesson in perseverance and, and, and pure uh, drive, which I absolutely love. I told the story to Christine, but my mom my mom and dad happy to say they married for a long time. My father has, like you, passed away. But their advice to me was uh, basically both working class people, salt of the earth. They expected me to go to college, which was awesome. All three of my siblings, all four of us went to college. But when I graduated, I said I wanted to go into high tech sales. And they were like, high tech sales? Like, no, no, no. You go, need to go find the biggest company and find out what the retirement package is. I was like, huh? Like uh, it was a very different path, but yeah, that's kind of the, the way that things can go. But you recently published an article called Three Reasons Why Women Should Reskill to Work in Cybersecurity. Can you talk about the jobs that are good for candidates uh, for reskilling in cybersecurity? Yeah, I think that we need to take a little bit of a fresh perspective on where women can go in cybersecurity because I hear this term a lot. 
And then I hear it very complicated and I don't think it needs to be as complicated. And this is one of kind of my missions in my career and helping others is really to really, really, really take a step back and think about what are the things that you really like to do and then matching that to cybersecurity and not necessarily saying, okay, what do I do in cybersecurity first? There are a lot of jobs in this industry. I mean, there it is not going away. It is growing. We have a skill gap we can't fill. You see it every day, right? How many open jobs? How many open roles? We really want women and we want underserved and we want minorities and we want all this stuff. Well, how are they going to get there? It's not magic. It, it takes work. And so I think really connecting the dots between your passions in life I guarantee you, in fact, I have never spoken to anybody who hasn't come to me with like, this is just what I love to do. And I haven't been able to think through three or four things they can do to get into cybersecurity. And it might be a, you know, a skip and a hop. It might not be that you land that six-figure amazing job right away, but there are paths to get where you want to be in cybersecurity, doing the things that you love. You don't need to sell your, your soul down the river to doing something that you hate doing every day. You just have to kind of figure out that path. And I think that's really where the translation piece from especially executives that really see down the line a lot, that see see the roles and see what people are doing. I think that's really where executives need to help fill the gap. We have that visibility that just not every person has as to you know what's upcoming, what's in demand, what's hard to fill, the passionate people down in your organization that just really knock it out of the park and it's not where they started. I can't tell you how many people... I have seen over the years where they're completely doing something totally different, but they're still doing what they're passionate about. So I think that's kind of the fundamental is, is really sticking to what you love. Yeah, totally agree. Can we talk a bit about the leadership benchmark program that you developed at BlackBerry? Yeah, absolutely. This was really fun. And I, you know, I'm going to tell you the story and I'll make it brief, but I want everybody listening to know that this is not something that you can't do yourself. This was an amazing thing that when I really realized how many women and minorities and just underserved employees there just were everywhere that I talked to, we're not unique as a company that just really want to do something more, that don't know how to make that first step because it's very complicated when you're not in it. It's easy to see the past, I think, you know, when you're in cybersecurity, but if you're not, how do you grow? How do you get from that sort of junior level role to a more senior level role? Or how do you get in in the first place? So I really wanted to take a step back and figure out when I was younger and when I was really challenged, what were the things that I needed someone like me to do for me? And so, and what I really needed was someone to come alongside me like that college counselor, bless her cotton socks, to come alongside me and just say like, this is the way, like if you really want to do this and you're passionate about it, or you just want to make a career change, here's the way. So what I did was I figured the way to get that sponsored internally is really to go figure out what the business problems are. Because in security, there's a lot of them. I mean, every, I think everybody listening will resonate with the fact that security, while it's very important, it causes roadblocks. And, and it really is important as a company to figure out how to operationalize security so that it flows with revenue and then it flows to make money and all those important things. So I went to those leaders. I, I sort of went around the room to the C-suite. I I'm pretty blessed to have a great relationship with our C-suite. And I went around and I said to, you know, I sort of surveyed them all. What are your top couple of problems that you see where security can really impact change in the company? And I got a plethora. I was not short on work. That is for sure. So I had a ton of great ideas from these executives. That's great. <laughs> great ideas from these executive staff. I had a list of things and sort of became therapeutic and I learned a lot. 
But then I took those ideas and I said, okay, great. Now, you know, leaders within the company, who are your top nine box or high potential employees that you feel would be great to help me solve these problems that are going to impact the company? And I got a list. And amazingly, the list was incredibly long. And I reached out to those people. To make a long story short, I reached out to everybody. And the response that I got back, I didn't actually even target this as a sort of a diverse women minority program, but it ended up being over 70% of the people that joined the program were just in that category, which just proved to me that there's this underserved. It was a huge blessing to me because I realized that there's value in that. And so we went off and formed a a couple of Tiger teams. And the important part about the Tiger teams was we didn't actually implement solutions. We just looked at problem solving. So we looked at critical skills and thinking and how to think through, not necessarily spending $100,000 to solve a problem, but what can we use today that we have to solve these problems in maybe three or four different ways? And so the exercise and the growth became about the thinking and about how to grow, not necessarily how to solve the problem. And it was beautiful. We partnered with mentors. So we got kind of from the top down. I had some executives involved. We partnered these people from the top down and their skill level so that they all had a mentor up the chain. At the end, you know, every group had to have three solutions to present to these C-suite members. And the, the idea was none of them were implementing anything. It was just to come up with the solution and the idea and the plan. And what we found was with these mentees that they grew so much along the way just in their own problem solving that they learned how to be stronger leaders, how to be better communicators, how to present to a C-level, which is scary for most of us, how to come up with ideas, how to work together as a team. I mean, there are so many things that it brought to this. And at the end of the day, we implemented each group. We had two different groups and they each, we did end up having a phase two where we implemented the two solutions. And it was amazing. We had so many leaders really excited about the outcome and it retained people and grew people. And we have people now in bigger, smarter roles because of that program. So it was a huge success and it didn't cost anything. It was just time. So in so many ways, I think it's just wonderful that you, everyone took the initiative Big companies, it's easy to just let things be laissez-faire and or to think even as a senior member of the team that, hey, this is going to be difficult. Nobody's going to support me. I'm just I'm busy in my day job. But the fact that you were so thoughtful in, in getting the feedback from different people as part of the team and then implementing it across the organization. And then the last piece is just having it's so impactful. And to your point, it didn't didn't really cost time, but the benefits to the company, the the pulse surveys that would come off of the people that participated in this, I'm sure it's just phenomenal. And then there's the feel good factor, right? You're doing good. You're helping people, right? People helped you. And I always say to listeners that are in the latter parts of our career, we've been blessed by many people who took the time to uh, stop, even though they were busy and help us. So it is our job to do the same thing, to stop and help others, right? So it's just so cool. Yeah. And I, when I was really thinking about whether or not this was a really good idea to do, I, I did go around to lots of executives outside of the company and I asked them a question and, you know, I said, where on your list of priorities does, uh, you know, women in minority hiring and just building that as part of your business fall? And all of them said it was one of their top three priorities. So then I went back around and followed up with those people and asked them candidly, okay, well, how much time do you actually invest in that? It was less than 10%. Nobody, right? right? So I think that there's just this imbalance of 
executives and their ability to really prioritize that kind of thing, even though it's their hearts are always in the right place. I mean, you won't find anybody that says this is not something that they wish I think was easier to do, but it's just, there's no time to invest in it. And so really plugging someone in that can reach across the organization, I think is really powerful. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. So uh, last question, we recently posted an entry-level SOC position and we got 4,000 applicants for a single (laughs) position. So it's like 3,999 people uh, are looking to get into this industry. So we say there's these hundreds of thousands or millions of jobs available, but yet it's so hard for these people to get in into the industry. So it's like, what advice would you give those people who might be feeling discouraged about their job hunt? Yeah, that's a great question. First, I would say, take advantage of the free resources that there are online. There's so many, like join Coursera, keep skilling up, do something where you're continuing your learning path because more and more, I see the importance of, the, especially for those entry-level jobs, just being able to build up your resume. Second, everybody should have more than one mentor. If you're currently at a company, find a mentor that is more towards the path of the career that you want to go. I mentor several people, and I have a very hard time saying no to mentoring, even when it's my Saturday or you know my evening time. And I, my guess is, again, there's a lot of passionate people that feel the same. I also match up mentors outside of my company all the time. I have people that come up to me at conferences or will just send me a note on LinkedIn. Hey, I'm looking for a mentor. I will go into my own network. And I think a lot of people will, but you have to be brave enough to sort of reach out and build that network yourself. And then the lastly would be the power of networking. It is really a lot of who do you know and who can help you. I mean, I've helped a lot of people in my career. People have certainly helped me in my career. But it's taken me the power of asking, and then it's the power of finding the right people that will sort of sponsor you and mentor you as you want to grow. Yeah, no, it's so many great nuggets there. And I, I do think that the term that really resonates with me is be brave. You got to put yourself out there. Not everybody is going to say yes, but there are many people like you, like me, who will. I've set a goal every year to help 30 people find jobs, and it can't be anybody we hire at ThreadX. So I have a passion for helping others, right? It's my goal. But I do remind people that reach out to me. It's like, hey, it's your job to manage me to help you. Yes. I'm going to put some time and effort in, but it's your job. And I think about a friend of mine's uh, son, the dad reached out and said, hey, can you help my son? I said, I'm glad to help. He was trying to get into private equity and he went to a, a good school, but not a, a tier one school that typically where the private equity guys come from. And I said, I hope any way I can. I said, but first step, he's got to reach out to me. I said, this isn't the first step. And literally, I hung up and two seconds later, my phone rang and it was the guy's son. Hey, Mr. Faye. Hey, call me Gene. This is what I like to do. What do you think I need to do? All right. Send me three paragraphs of what you want to do and your resume. And I'll start making introductions. Within an hour, I get that email. And it was like, Every the pitch catch of continuously, he never bugged me, like quote unquote bugged me, but he was always persistent, always reminding me, always following up. That type of people are going to get jobs really quickly. And I'll give you the other antithesis of that is, you know, somebody reaches out to me, usually a parent says, hey, can you help my son or can you help my daughter? Can you help my niece? Glad to help. Have him reach out. Three days later, I get a text, not a phone call. Hey, uh, my uncle said, uh, maybe you can help me. 
like help you, you know, so you got to put yourself out there. You got to, it's a full-time job looking for a job. It is. And it is a level of persistence and it's level of networking. And, and it just last example for me was a gentleman reached out, former military person. I introduced them to a CISO that I knew and, you know, it didn't turn into an opportunity, but it turned into a, a relationship. And now this person's trying to help that person find a job. Like, hey, those are the things that people like you and I will do all day long. But you got to be brave. You got to put yourself out there. And then you got to manage our relationship so that I can think about the ways to help you. And I think that's the fun part. The other thing that really meant something to me is uh, looking for those free access to materials. So ThreadX Academy, all of our listeners, we give them access to ThreadX Academy for free. So Coursera, there's lots of things. And I'd say also be careful of the dubious People realize that there are these hundreds of thousands of people looking for jobs. So there are, you know, dubious programs out there with bogus credentials that cost thousands of dollars. Like, please, 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 our listeners, let's avoid those programs. Reach out to people like Christina and myself and find out about what programs are reputable and less expensive to free as opposed to you don't have any money, you're looking for a job, don't get taken advantage of. I really, that, those things bug me in the industry for sure. Awesome. Well, well, Christina, I so much appreciate your time and your story and your openness of your early days, the massive success you've become. I'm so blessed to now call you part of my network. And thank you so much for sharing your story on the Executive Security Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. Awesome. So as a reminder, uh, just to reiterate, for those that want to up their skills on uh, cybersecurity, ThreadX Academy is available. You can go to academy.threadx.com and use the promo code podcast to get free access. So please take us up on that. And also check out a, a recent episode with Mark Farner, CISO at Lowe's. It's a really interesting discussion where he talks about the role of a CISO. is not really about cybersecurity. It's about helping companies manage risk. I think it's a really interesting take on the role of us in cybersecurity. Lastly, if you want to learn more about API security, please check out our website at threadx.com. Thank you again, Christine. So thankful for your time and everything you do for our industry. Thank you. Thank you.